2: Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that's The Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach and I've got a very special guest for me today. My guest today is Richard Allen. How are you, Rich?
3: Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Very good, good indeed.
2: Good stuff. Rich, just um, before we get into the real thick of the conversation, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and then we can kind of go from there.
3: Um, well, I've been working in football for a, a number of years. Um, uh, I'm currently out in Japan working at Yokohama FC as a senior football executive and technical advisor at the club. Uh, we're sitting at the top of J2 at the moment, hopefully get promoted into J1 next season. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a good club. It's a very different environment for me, having worked in the UK for, for all of my career, really. So, um, yeah, I've been around in working for the England national teams. I've worked at clubs at Tottenham and Queen's Park Rangers. Um and before coming here, I was director of football at Loughborough University.
2: Definitely brilliant. And I, you know, really brief kind of really snapshot of your journey there. But there's a you know there's a there's a lot in the years that you've kind of gone through those roles and your experiences that you've had. So maybe just kind of give us a bit of an insight around where did the journey start? I mean, obviously for a lot of us going into you know this the more the more coach related spaces for a lot of us is having a passion for the game, but maybe not maybe it's necessarily for making it way as players um but in some cases and in many cases probably not really understanding there is other pathways so coaching just became the natural next step if you like
3: yeah I guess I mean when I was growing up I loved all sport I was probably in a generation where at school you did everything so you played rugby you played tennis you 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 did football you did you did everything that was going and I loved sport Yeah, I loved all sports and I still love all sports um and actually, my main sport when I was growing up was judo, very strangely, from the age of about 6 to 19. And that was my first opportunity to coach. So judo is really good. You know, I, I was refereeing, so, you know, officiating, because you go through periods in your kind of growth as you're growing as a judoka, where, you know, you, you're going through puberty, you're not you're not quite competing, but rather than losing to the sport, they got you involved in other things. So at like 15, I was officiating at men's competitions, Southern Area Open. I remember at Crystal Palace, um, you know, in the middle of the map refereeing. Um, and I was coaching. I was, I think I was the youngest county coach at the time. I, I think I did it when I was about 15, 14, 15. And then I was coaching the, the young ones and I love coaching. Now, I was pretty good. You know, I did OK. Uh, I went to national squad training. So there was some great influences in people like... I used to go to national squad training with Dave Starbrook and Tony McConnell, which would probably mean nothing to most people. That was a tough baptism of fire in terms of a young guy going up to London. I was living in Devon then. Um, So some really, really important people that I kind of met. It gave me the opportunity to travel, compete. Um, When I was 15, I went to the Moscow Olympics, not not to compete, but to watch on a coach from Victoria Coach Station on my own because I was so kind of into my sport. Um, and that was uh, famously in actually in later years at Loughborough. I was, uh, there's a picture in the elite athlete center of, uh, Sebastian Cohen in the 1500 meters. And my claim to fame was that I'm, I'm up there. I'm up in the Lennon stadium. I was there on that day when he won the 1500 meters as well as, as well as watching the judo. So Neil Adams was my absolute hero and, um, yeah, I watched him win a silver medal, so I was kind of into sport. And then at the age of the tender age of 19, I decided to give it up and concentrate on my football and other things. And I got into that um by the age of 20 I became a senior youth worker uh, to the crown of manor club so again those people in London crown and manor is in Hoxton Hackney um so varying in mind, I was 20 21 I was younger than some of the members that we had because we used to go up to 25 so I was running the club and it was one of arguably one of the biggest and best clubs of its type in in London um, met some incredible people supportive people um you know, uh, unbelievable. And they believed in me. I think they saw something in me. And I and I spent 20 years there, 20 years. So people think that, you know, you, you kind of make it in the game. Did I ever think that I'd work in professional football? Well, we developed a programme there, uh, kind of a, an academy programme, the first of its type where we coupled education with coaching. Um, and we got technical support from the FA. I remember going in to see Charles Hughes because we had some connections from the club. And a very young John McDermott, who's obviously our technical director at the FA um, was kind of tasked with giving us some help. So that was the first time I'd come across him. Um, We had boys over from Japan. That was my first link with Japan all those years ago. Um, Got my A license um, started doing some scouting for the FA because I wasn't kind of associated with a professional club Um, game. John Allpress, Paul Smalley, lots of different people, uh, Colin Murphy again people might know as was a kind of chief scout Craig Simmons who was an absolute genius and the heartbeat of the FA still is to this day a great man um Dick Bates you know just just lots and lots of people uh first came across Chris Ramsey then because he was working at the FA uh he was doing a conversion course when I did my a license and I did the uh, I did my theory bit at Douglas Air Sports Centre so you know did, did loads of different things um Went and did everything, didn't get paid, acted as a liaison officer for the English FA, looking after international teams, met really good head coaches of national teams, watched them. Ruud Kaiser, who was the Dutch national coach, with people like Wesley Snyder, he he had me coaching with him. You know, he said, oh, yeah, come on, give me a hand. So I I was like serving balls into Wesley Snyder. um, And I couldn't believe it. Then I'd go back to the club and I was just regurgitating the things that I'd learned. So if I was with a Spanish team in Jarki Scythe, and Spain were at their beginning of their journey of kind of really dominating youth football. I was with the team. Um, and it's funny because of the game tonight. Um, the last time we obviously hosted the women's championships was in 2005. And just before I moved from Crown of Manor, um, I was the team liaison officer for the German women's team that won it. And I can remember, you know, sitting on the bench when they won it at Blackburn and... Um, And again, great, great coaches, great environment. They were so far above and better than everybody else. So all those kind of learning experiences kind of led me into, I guess, being competent enough, um, having a range of skills and abilities, a little bit different, being a youth worker, knowing London. So when John McDermott took over at Tottenham, I think I was his first appointment as head of recruitment. So quite a left field appointment. I have to say the first few days and had no idea what I was doing. I remember going to the office thinking, what what, what do I do? I you know I'm so used to being in my old job, you know, coaching every day, 20 years, new London, like the, you know, like the back of my hand. Um, but didn't really know what I was doing in a professional football club. But you know, managed to adapt. I have to say I wanted to be out on the grass coaching. And I remember John saying to me, you don't get judged on doing your coaching. Yeah, you can get involved a bit. Um, because I thought I was a really good coach. No, I thought I was excellent. Um and, you know, and I did go and work with some of those young players, the Jake Livermores, who are still Andros Towns and all the all the guys that had come through. I did a little bit. Chris Ramsey obviously was appointed. He, he, he let me coach sometimes, but I was like looking out the window and thinking, I want to get out there and coach. But it soon became apparent that, you know, yeah, I was being judged on the players that we brought in rather than my coaching ability. So um, still say on the quiet, still did a little bit with the younger ones. We opened development centres. People like Frank Shillingford, who people were knowing the game, were, were working um, through the programme at Crown & Manor. We had people like Michael Donaldson, who's now the under-18s coach at uh, at Reading. He got involved in the development centre, then went into the academy at Tottenham. Mehmet Ali, who's obviously just got the PDP role at uh, Arsenal, 21's head coach. It was a Crown & Manor boy, I used to coach him as my right back. And um, they've gone all the way through, Rob Nicholl who was head of education and now works for, for, um, the premier league in their audit company. All those people came out crown of manor. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and, and lots and lots more that have done really well in the game and gone forward in the game. So yeah, I ended up at Tottenham, you know, um, which again was, was, was fantastic. A great time where John McDermott came in, um, Chris Ramsey, myself, Alex Inglethorpe, who now at Liverpool, um, Perry Sucklin, who's still there. Um, and we had this really good group of people that were driven, and I think you know we were we were successful in terms of the players that we worked with, identified, brought in, developed, and have gone on to do you know really remarkable things. I'll, I'll take a I'll take a pause there. <laughs> Sorry, oh, yeah. I rambled on. Yeah, I,
2: you know, there's a there's a lot in there. You know, I just want to start by saying you know thank you for being very articulate with the way you described your experiences and over over that time from there's a few key questions that really kind of popped up for me as you're speaking um so I'm going to take you right back to the start of all that and one of the first things you said that was you started coaching the young people um and from then you felt that you were good you were good at this what was it that made you feel that you were good at that point so early on in your journey and just to kind of tail onto that what was it about coaching in that moment that you thought this is something that I really, I really, this has got me?
3: Well, I guess, um, again, in the judo context, I I was good at judo. So I had a credibility. So, you know, when I went and did the younger ones, it was like, you know, he, he, he fights for the, in the, in the, you know, the proper, he does proper judo. Um, and I knew it, so I was good at it. I could demonstrate it. I felt comfortable and confident, I had a bit of a swagger about me because I had, a, you know, I had that confidence in me to be able to do it. And and I also had, you know, I, I thought I had the ability to try and make people better, you know, and, and get them enjoying what they were doing, understanding their level. I kind of, I, I don't know. It, 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 I, and I do understand why sometimes you say, well, if you've played the game, maybe it's easier for you to coach. I don't totally subscribe to that because you've got to learn how, you know, to teach and how people learn and all those kind of things. But you know, I, I like working with people, I like building relationships. You know, I was never going to be a nine to five man. You know, that was never going to be me. I've always wanted to do different things and, and be exciting things, traveling and working with people and, and seeing you know, there's nothing better than watching a player come and make their debut in the first team or or whatever they're doing in life. You know, I still I still get messages from people now that are doing other things. I meet people over here because of the Japanese connection that we had. You know, one of the guys is a comedian. Oh, here. Yeah. Actually, we had a comedian in London as well. But we had a we have a comedian. One's become a politician. One all these people have gone on in their lives, not necessarily with their sport, but having some impact yet yeah, on the field of play and helping them technically, tactically, physically, psychologically, socially, all those things. Yeah. But actually making them into good people, that kind of holistic support. So Crown and Manor was we use sport as a vehicle to work with young people. You know, it, it, Hackney is, we know, you know, it's, it was a tricky area. It was difficult. It, it's different now, and it, but it's still equally as difficult working in Hackney. And I still get involved at Crown & Manor when I can. But, uh, you know, we we were trying to do things to working with lots of different young people. And if you speak to people at Crown & Manor, they'll say, oh, it's, um, oh, Crown & Manor, yeah, that's the boxing club. No, 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 it's not just the boxing club. Oh, it's the table tennis club, or it's the athletics club, or it's the football club, or it's the karate club. And actually, you know, it was a youth club where we had young people um, that that would be making their way in the world. And yeah, football might be the vehicle to get them in. And we got more people in to play football because people love football in that area. So we use that as a way of working with young people. So I suppose for me, yes, it's about coaching, but I guess, you know, and, and the conflict of I suppose I'd always have would be going from that kind of environment, working in Hackney, working with young people, and then going into a professional environment where it is business. You know, there is a degree of now you're having to work with players and some will go forward and some will drop away. And that's, you know, how do you make sure you do that in the context of still trying to develop players, still trying to, um, you know, allow them to have good experiences and move forward rather than thinking, oh, this was a complete waste of time. I was going to be a professional football player and now I've dropped away. And the reality is most people, most people, don't make it, it, it as elite athletes whether you're a runner whether you're a cyclist or whether you're a football player there's 11 that play on a Sunday a Saturday it's really hard you know especially when you can pick any player in the world so the only a very small people do amount of people do get through so how do you support players on their journey wherever that journey might take them
2: no and I think I think, I think that's brilliant because I think certainly in the world of sport as a whole we're definitely moving towards a more holistic look, holistic look at things. And, you know, you talk earlier, and you, you mentioned about that mindset of people saying just because they've played a sport, they might be good coaches, but and kind of bring you back to an earlier point that you mentioned as well, is you felt that you were competent early on. What does yeah, it actually look like? Because there's a lot of coaches out there who say they're competent, but they haven't really got measurements for, for what it actually looks like or what it even means.
3: Yeah, it's true. I mean, once somebody once said to me, look, first and foremost, you've got to be good at what you do. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know, what, what does that? What does that look like? I guess it looks like different things to different people in different environments. You know, I I, I could tell you funny stories of you know very good people coaching, but we'd have that very different styles and have different philosophies about how it's done. It doesn't mean they're right. And I'm, you know, I'm wrong and they're right and they're right and I'm wrong. You know, it doesn't it doesn't you know, it, it's just sometimes we do things differently. I, I, I guess for me you know, the, the measure of your competence is longer term, how those players have developed under your tutelage, you know, how they got on, how have they continued on their kind of upward trend rather than dropping away? Now, you know, arguably there is a point in everybody's life where you kind of plateau and, and you start to dip and go down. Every player probably goes through that at some stage. But, you know, how do you make sure you keep them on that upward trajectory? Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 is a good, it is a good point. I think me... You know, if I wasn't good at things, then I would work extra harder. You know, so my work ethic was really, really good. My commitment, my commitment to the players that I was working with, was you know that was important to me. Um, and again, to this day, you know, I, I, I would like to think that I haven't forgotten where I've come from, and I still try and help those people that I've coached or worked with, the people that will come into Crown and Manor. So I guess it's all those things, but I think having the technical knowledge, the the ability to be able to pass on that information, understanding how children learn mm. uh, and and you know, operate with a variety of different styles to get the best out of them.
2: No, and I totally agree. I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges probably for a lot of people is we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes if we're deeming ourselves competent without actually really assessing, you know, as you put it there, are these players on that upward trajectory? Are they, are, you carry, are they carrying on that trend, that, 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 that curve? And I guess... For a lot of people, if they don't really know what they're looking out for, they could be misguided or or blind to what that actually looks like. Um, But I think it's also about, you know, again,
3: I I had really good opportunities to go and watch what I would consider to be the best coaches, Mm. you know, so to watch Dick Bate coach, you're thinking, wow, you know, the level of information, the way that he put it over, the clarity of the messages that he was getting over, the impact it would have on the players was remarkable you know, watching some of the foreign coaches working with their players, the relationships that they built. So I, I was really fortunate, I guess, to be able to measure myself. And, and I, I, you know, I wasn't fit to lace their boots. You know, I'm thinking, Phew. and I remember years later, Michael Donaldson saying to me, we were doing something at Tottenham. And um, he said, oh, Rick, we were doing this at Crown of Manor five years ago. I said, well, it wasn't me. I just copied a Spanish guy. You know, generally speaking, things that we do are only going around this kind of circle. So I was copying what Iñaki Saith, the Spanish guy, was doing, adding a few little bits to it. And guess what suddenly it's it's what everybody's doing and people think well no it wasn't me i, I just copied what he did uh, and it kind of worked and you I, I did i understand it all did i have the detail probably not but i kind of kind of worked my way through it
2: and you know just talk there about the detail and just how important is that and you know another kind of to link it back in as well you talked earlier about uh, you know being able to demonstrate and things like that i think I don't know what your views are, but my my experience has shown me that a lot of coaches are kind of maybe overlooking more, especially in the more recent years that I've I've observed it. They're overlooking just how impactful and powerful the coach the, the, the demonstration is. And it doesn't have to be the coach necessarily doing a demonstration, but actually yeah. having someone who can do a demonstration, even worst case scenario, if it's in slow motion, do you know what I mean?
3: I think you're right. I think the best coaches have definitely got that level of detail, you know, and, and you find that sometimes if you work with really good ex-players. They might not be able to get it over, but if you can get out of them, just some of the little bits, you know. And I remember being with Pat Jennings, and Pat Jennings was very much a, you know, he's he's half a foot to the left too far. And You're thinking half, you know, the detail of what he was looking at, you're thinking, Blimey. you know, really, uh, I I would have just said he was a, needs to be moved over a little bit, but he was so precise in the detail that he was able to give and the correct detail that he was hmm. he was able to. Give. I, I yeah, I, I agree with you, and it's I'm doing um a program here at Yokohama working with some of the coaches. And that's one of my constant things is, you know, we've got a number of guys who have played the game. I'm saying demonstrate, show them, or as you say, get somebody else to show them, but you know, one of the players, but yeah, I I agree. And if we, you know, if we work off the basis of, you know, I, I like when I was on my courses, I like to be in the session. I yeah. couldn't stand at the edge of the session and watch, cause I switch off and do other things. I had to be coached by the coach. Then I understood it. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, you know, with this, this debate about learning styles. But certainly, I think there are different ways of coaching and people take on board information in a different way.
2: 100%. And I, and I think it's spot on, and and similar to you. I'm, I'm one of those people that I have to be in it. And if I'm not in it, then I'd need, certainly certainly more recently, what I'd need to be in is really kind of internalise everything that's going on, thinking about it. you You talked there about the detail, though. And one of the, I guess, things that kind of has been a bit of a, a question of mine recently is, are we in danger of being too specific with our detail,
3: No, no, I don't think so. And uh, and again, that's people often ask me, you know, about styles that you use. Is it come on? Is it guided discovery? Is it about giving them all the information? Is it about them taking ownership and making good? I think it's a combination of all those things. If you're a good teacher, then you of course you give them the opportunity to try things out and experiment and get things wrong. And but as a teacher, there's a point in time where you might have to push them in the right direction, you know, by the question that you ask or the demonstration that you show. You know you can't you can't run the whole session just on guided discovery and never come up i remember watching that when i was doing some coach education and we went so far the other way you know that whole let the game be the teacher i think people misunderstood what that meant i kind of understood it but people just weren't coaching
2: say,
3: weren't, coach.
2: still happening now
3: yeah. yeah there's a point in time you know you can't not and, and i always used to make me laugh where they, you know you have somebody going right how could you do this can you how could you do this differently how could you and you're thinking at some point, you're going to have to tell them. And I wasn't sure if the person who was asking a question actually knew what the answer was or had a range of different answers for that person. So, yeah, I think you have to have that knowledge and competency of, you know, the principles of the game aren't going to change too far. You know, if you've got to understand those principles of the game. If you do that, you're not going to go too far wrong. But, of course, there are people that perhaps don't understand it to the detail or depth that they need.
2: I think it's one it's a literal conversation I was having yesterday with some coaches that, the one thing that's never changed is the principles. <laughs> hmm. It is what it is. If you don't understand the principles, then you're going to struggle to deliver everything and anything. I think once yeah. you get to grips of those principles and if you can help your, 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 your players understand those principles, that's going to be the foundation that's needed to build on, regardless of what, you know, what team they go into, what country they play in, what culture they're going to end up in. I think everything links back to the principles. And it, it, it's, it's universal. It's not these are the principles because we said they, they're the principles of England no these things yeah. exist in spain and in yokohama yeah. wherever else it may be so you know yeah. I, I, I think i think there's a there's a lot in there and hopefully kind of really what people have picked up on is that that level of detail is still very important um there is there is a need for a blend of approaches sometimes and but more importantly the importance of that demonstration um i think it's so key and i think a lot of coaches just hope and assume that players have understood everything that they're saying
3: yeah
0: but
2: yeah
3: not, and, not, and and yeah, Listen, you can't, I, I can remember doing stuff and you've got to be smart about how you do it. You know, do you get other people to do things that you can't do? You, know, you soon figure out who's good at something. Well, I'm not going to mug myself off by trying to do something I can't do. Um, you know, So I, I can even do my A licence where you're, I was doing some crossing thing and I thought, okay, well, I, I'm pretty good with my right so I can drive one into the near post, so I can stand one up at the far post. But you know what? When I, I've got to go down the other side at some point. I can't do everything down the right, so i do it down the left. But I'll do my pull back to the penalty spot because I know I can put it back to the penalty spot with my left foot. You know, don't ask them to drive it in with any accuracy or perhaps even stand it up. But so you just got to be smart in what, you know, because I think people are nervous about, I don't have the ability to be able to do it. Um, but if you're clever about it and you, you're kind of confident, then, yeah, just get get somebody else who's really good at it to do it.
2: And one of the kind of strategies that I've come to come up, come up with over the years is trying to identify, you know, we've got to talk about learning styles there. Who, who, who just understands what I'm looking for just by me telling them? Now, it doesn't mean they're going to perform it best. Hmm. they understand it, I can get something out of them. There's a picture for me to work with. And then once they've demonstrated that picture, coming back to that piece of demonstration, they've demonstrated the picture. They're now able to then show the people that need to see it first. Yeah. But those people that need to see it first might actually end up being the most technical ones that are doing it. Yeah. So it's almost like, right, you started off with the first demonstrator. Now you've moved on to the second demonstrator by showing them what needs to be done and all of a sudden like now your demonstration just goes up a notch if if that makes sense
3: um but i also think that i think we um assume that we can become good really quickly you know and and i think when i first got involved again people say to me oh you're lucky you know yeah and you listen I, i was very lucky i was i had lots of leg ups by different people you know, um, if I look back, I had more advantages than most people. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't work hard for it. I wasn't given anything. I had to really work hard for it. But then, you know, people say oh, I like this overnight success. It took me 20 years, 20 years. I went from 1985 to 2005 at Crown of Manor in, in Hackney. I served my time, you know, and I served my time, built up my network, got better at coaching, coached every day, you know, coached with some difficult but some really talented kids, you know, who went on. I was on Shoreditch Park. You know, we had to stop when the lady walked across the middle of the pitch with her shopping trolley. She was never going to change direction because she always went across the park. We used to carry the goals down Southgate Road. You know, it was just, it, it was, it was funny, you know, and but it was where you learn, not only learn how to be a coach. And, you know, we, we were playing in senior men's football at the weekend with kids and doing okay. Um, you know, I'm, we we played against uh, FC Sofia. People, Buncho Genshev up front. It was a whole Bulgarian side. I remember playing in a cup final at Dulwich Hamlet. It was like a UEFA cup night. And, um, you know, you learn. You learn from those experiences. And so I think, so the technical detail, the way that you coach, the way that you get the messages across to players, I, I think in the modern era, I think, you know, young people these days, I know I sound like an old man, but expect it, oh, you know, I've done a bit of coaching. I think I should be working at Tottenham's Academy tomorrow. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't work like that.
2: No, it doesn't. I think it, it's, it's a great point to make. You know, you talked there about, it took you 20 years. But people consider an overnight success because you've just gone from one environment to another. But actually, you no, know, this is this is, I've been I've been working at this for a long time. And yeah, it's kind of really, you know, the, the question it kind of really brings out for me is obviously there's a lot of coaches now. I think as time's gone on, maybe the the average age of the coach is getting younger and younger, which is yeah. you know, which is great. And it is fantastic to see that there's more younger people that look at, feeling like they want to kind of become coaches and they can give back in some way in that, in that in that in that respect but maybe there's not that same appreciation for the maybe the, the hard work and dedication that goes into actually developing their craft before really being thrown into the deep end if you like
3: yeah because you know you, you've got to know what good looks like as you say when we're talking about being competent well you need to go through cycles of development so you need to look at you know you know I was very lucky I, I know what Oli Skip looked like when he was six years old, seven years old. So I've seen him on his journey now to a good professional player, you know, good contract at Tottenham, doing really, really well. So you need to have gone through that journey, you know, with a player to know what it looks like so that you can, and I know everybody's journey is different, everybody looks like different, but certainly it's helpful if you go back again to start again, that you've been through that experience and some of the pitfalls that you might've had, some of the learnings that you had, um, you can then put into place.
2: I think you spot on. Okay, you know, just to kind of build on that, then you know, you you, you talked there about your, your time with the Prime Man and obviously moving into Spurs. Just just talk to us a little bit about what the major differences that you saw, obviously, going into an academy environment now.
3: So credibility is massive. I remember John McDermott said to me, you know, your, your credibility here is going to be important. How how did you get on with the manager, the first team staff, Clive Allen, you know, the kit man, the other people? Because. You're Richard Allen from Crown and Manor, you know, and they think that. And I remember they took the Mickey out of me saying, oh, you, you used to work for a pub, the pub side. Mm-hmm. I go, No, it's not the cr- Crown and Anchor. No, it's not the Crown Anchor, it's the Crown and Manor. So anyway, uh, they used to wind me up. But yeah, and, and I, I was, you know, from being a very competent, confident person, the first few weeks in there, You know, working with the players. I remember going out the first couple of training sessions thinking, I I don't know if I'm good enough to work with these players. These are really talented football players. I remember going with a group with Chris Ramsey. So we went to Italy with a group and you're thinking we had some really, really top class players playing in that who've gone on and have really good professional careers. And I did doubt whether I was at the level where I could confidently coach them. And Chris would be Chris um, and and just get on and do it without, you know, he, he just knew his stuff and was really, really good at, learn, you know, learned loads about coaching from him. Um, so, yeah, so it was, it was, it, it was difficult. There were things that were, the environment was very difficult. You know, again, I, I was a youth worker. So the way that I talked about kids, treated kids, one of the reasons I went in was because even though, you know, based in Haringey, Arsenal dominated Haringey, Islington, Hackney. You know, they were getting all the kids. So we didn't have any kids from those areas. We had all the kids from nice Chigwell and 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 all around there. Not saying that there weren't some, because our best players actually came from those kind of areas, you know, as well as somebody like a Japat Tangan from Hackney. But a lot of them did come from Walton Stowe and St Albans. And, you know, they, they, they so I'm not saying that that's a wrong place to come from. But it, it caused huge issues, huge issues when I came in. We weren't doing any work inside the North Circular. I knew Hackney like the back of my hand. So I knew Market Road. I knew Hackney Marshes. I knew, you know, you name it. I, I kind of knew that area. Um, and, you know, my job was really to change the whole recruitment and bring different people from different cultures, different environments. for well, the coaches, they found it really, really hard. You know, the kid that was five minutes, 10 minutes late because they've come from Hackney on the bus. And, you know, they're like, oh, this kid's not committed to it. You're thinking, flipping neck? He's taking a bus, a train. He's had to walk down Lux Lane. And he's probably had to pick up his sister from school and give her a tea. And he's, and he, and he's 10 minutes late. Flipping it, that's commitment. Not, not necessarily the player that's coming, you know, the mum and dad's four by four and gets there on time every day. So, yeah. And, and you know, the kids were different the way you had to coach them. And I was kind of used to that. You know, I knew, you know, there was a bit of tough love as well because I knew what they were like and I'd worked in that environment. And it is it is hard. Um, our coaches just didn't really understand how to do it. So there was a shift and a... You know, change of the coaching staff and an education of those guys to kind of get them up to speed, you know, and, and within a few years, there was a massive turnaround in terms of the players and, and the coaches that we had.
2: Definitely. I think you do, you know, you make a very good point there around the importance of the coach, the coach has been able to understand the cultural challenges and different differences that players from different backgrounds do, do, do bring. And especially, I think more so in the re, more recent years, we've definitely seen, a massive change in the general demographic of players that are coming through. Um, like I said, it's not it's not necessarily those kids from your you know your Chigwell, your Essex, or there's you know the leafy green areas that are in the surrounding areas of, of of the urban urban London or the other big cities. So I mean, what would you say has been one of the biggest uh, resistant factors in the, in in that transition from coaches in that respect? Because a lot of coaches that I've come across in, in my journey are, are very stuck in the mindset of, right, if this player isn't fitting and if this player doesn't do things in a particular way or if this player doesn't achieve what they came in to achieve, it's the player's fault.
3: Yeah, listen, I, I remember John McDermott, because I have arguments all the time about, you know, players, how we dealt with them, how we treated them. And he would say to me, we're not social services, Rich. You know, we are a professional football club. So there are levels and standards and expectations. And everybody needs to understand that. And we're not doing our job if we're not preparing those players, what it's going to be like as they go through the programme. Because if you get in the first team dressing room and you behave in a certain way, you, you're not going to survive in it. It's a pretty hard place. So, you know, we, we've got a duty to, to to educate everybody, not just the ones from the leafy suburbs of Chigwell about how they should behave. And yeah, there was a bit of we don't understand these kids. They were they were a little bit frightened sometimes because you've got these street kids who are a little bit, a bit more about them uh parents didn't like it necessarily because they were losing their places to kids from these other areas I think to be fair with the coaches yeah there were some that found it hard but most of them you know we had some good coaches so you know in the end they come come to the way of thinking and and there's a natural kind of turnover of staff and you know when I was at Crown of Manor when I went there in 1985 it was the same it was pretty much a you know very few black kids mostly white kids white staff uh Hackney and Hoxton especially was the center of the National Front all those kind of things and, and, it you know, I, I remember employing Frank Schillingford, a guy called Richard Humphreys and a few other guys. And suddenly your staff changes. Parents were coming in and looking and going, oh, yeah, we trust you now. We you know we will we, we'll leave our kids here. We weren't sure before because of this environment that we thought was here. And suddenly things change. You know, the club changes. And I think that's exactly the same at, at, at Tottenham. You know, you look at the demographic of the of the of the coaching staff. And over the years, you've got, you know, people have come in, you've got the Justin Cochran's, or you've got the Mehmet Ali's or the Michael Donaldson's, or, you know, a whole range of different people that have come in from different backgrounds, who, you know, have taken on that kind of mantle and, and culturally understand it, but also they've got the trust of the boys and the parents. And that's not saying that others hadn't done that. So, you know, we've got people from day one, like I don't know Bradley Allen. Bradley's been there forever. You know, really good coach, worked with a certain group, did a really does a really, really good job. And things have changed. And and so has he. And he's developed and moved. So, you know, that that's all part of a coach's journey, I think. And the good ones will will adapt. Uh, and I think that's that's part of being a good coach. You have to adapt to the, the situation. You know, I'm adapting now to being in Japan. It's very different the way that you have to coach the kids, how you talk to the staff, how you be frustrating because it's not very direct. They don't like directness. You can't give some a bollocking. You know, you, you have to yeah you have to be a bit more general in your kind of criticism. Um but it's a much more gentle approach. Be, you know, I could come here and shout and scream, but then I'll probably be on the plane home they wouldn't want me. So you have to adapt as a coach.
2: No, definitely. Uh, I think I think you spot on there, Rich, you know, there's a there's a lot of uh, considerations to make especially when you're moving into a different culture and um really understand that you're coming into that environment. So you need to kind of climatize yourself to that rather than the other way around. So I think as a coach or in any walk of life, really, I think we really need to kind of take that kind of initiative on board and apply ourselves in that way. But something that, you know, obviously you mentioned earlier, um, you weren't heavily involved in the coaching necessarily, but you are really more judged on the ability to bring certain level of or caliber of players in or certain types of players in. So let's just talk about that a little bit. Cause you know, obviously a lot of your experience it lies within the talent id sector
3: yeah yeah
2: how would you um how would you define what talent id is because it's, it's a term that has been it's been around for a while but it's become a bit more prevalent across the industry uh, in the recent years and there's a lot of the, a lot, a lot, it's been brandished around in many ways how would you define talent id what is it and, and how would you say that that has changed over the years
3: yeah, I mean, I, I'm passionate about talent ID. Um, I, I think it's about recognising potential. I think, you know, we all have potential. It's understanding what what the level is required, where you need to get to. And it's about, you know, I think we talk very much about, all oh, these elite academies with elite players. Well, well they're not, are they? You know, elite players are people that play in your first team or play, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is an elite player. I'm not sure that somebody playing in the under-12s is an elite player. You can't compare. So I, I think there may be potentially so I think potential is the key word for me. So I think everything around talent ID at the younger age is about where we think they're going to be in the future. So it's all about potential. Are they are they going to be you know, are they going to have that technical ability that they are going to require in the future? Because we know they're going to have to be absolutely fantastic. Are they going to have um, the game understanding that they're going to need? Are they going to be able to learn the game? Um, are <laughs>
0: Correct.
3: Everything's going off. Um, are they are they people that um are gonna have the physical attributes? Because unfortunately, you know, there is a you know, the, the Premier League players are quicker than the average player, you know, they're gonna be quicker than players probably in the championship in the first first division. Are they their change of direction, their agility, yeah, you know, all, all of those things are gonna be better? So you know, how at eight years old are you going to determine whether somebody is going to have those physical attributes? Actually, it's, it's pretty much impossible. You can't. You, you don't really know. There are there, there are some things that you might look at, but generally, until they've gone through puberty, you're not really going to know where they're going to get to. Um, so that's why you should never judge a player, you know, or test players at a younger age and make decisions on it. I'm not saying don't test them. It's fine. Test them. So, uh, that's absolutely fine. No problem at all. But don't don't you know don't bother making a decision based on it because there's so many factors that can change. And, and do they have, and do they demonstrate the kind of elite behaviors that you require to become a top player? Because, you know, I think people on the outside, I think you just rock up, play football and you become a multimillionaire. Well, you, I think in any sport, you're not telling me that people don't have to sacrifice work really hard, have to, you know, have build resilience, um, you know, a whole range of things that they need to do to make it to the top level. So we were talking about you know, the other day about psychological stamina. So um Brandon Austin made his debut um, for the first team. He's been, he's played, he's played um, pre-season instance and stuff before, but he was in Korea. Uh, and I was talk, talking to his family because he's been at the club since he was, you know, nine or 10. um And he, and he, he you know, he's whatever he is now, kind of 22, 23. I'm not, I'm not sure how old he is, but as a goalkeeper, you just got to keep going and keep going and keep going. And not everybody has that. Ability to do that, you know that, that psychological stamina. I think it's it's really important. So I think there are lots and lots of things, and it and it's an inexact science. And I think anybody that tells you you can tell. So people always say to me, well, not what they say to me, we knew Harry Kane was going to be a good player. No, no, we didn't. No, we had not. We didn't know he was going to be a good player. Look, retrospectively, there are some traits that he had that you now go, well, actually, if we'd known about it then, we might have suggested. But you're telling me that when he was on loan and couldn't get on the pitch and was, you know, no, I mean, you know, he got released at Arsenal, he came to us, he almost got released again, he was always up against it. And people say to me, yeah, yeah, we knew. If you speak to Alex Inglethorpe, if you speak to Chris Ramsey, John McDermott, we didn't know, we didn't know that he was going to become one of the best players in the world, you know. Um, Now, he had behaviours, when you look at it, if you look back at him and say, well, you know, what did he come to? What he wanted. He wanted to train harder than anybody else. He listened he could finish he could strike a ball really cleanly physically he was a disaster absolute disaster you know he was well behind all the other kids at his age group um and the reason we took him in the end well we gave him the benefit of the doubt was we were doing a project on um relative age effect and um he was born in july you know he's a he's a summer baby he's the youngest in the group and it was almost one of those let's give it go because we've we've said that we need to be more mindful of these types of players um his dad was quite big, very scientific. We thought oh, he might get bigger, um, but but we, we decided to give it a go. And and but there were so many things. And, and maybe getting released to Arsenal was the best thing that ever happened to him. Maybe that built that kind of determination, resilience. <coughs> I'll just say- you know, like Gareth, Gareth Bale was the same. He was always yeah. always up for release. So maybe those things you need that to keep you. And being a little one who couldn't run very well, you had to develop other areas.
2: No, definitely. And no, no, I'm just as you're talking. I'm just thinking about the amount of players that are out there that you know. You're right. I don't think you can, no, we haven't got a crystal ball. We can never. We're never really going to tell what's going to happen next. Um, but is there? You know, maybe, maybe you don't have to name them, of course. But if you, do you think there's been times where maybe you've looked at a player and you've thought, you know what? They've got something about them. I think they need ABC, but they're not going to get that in this environment. I mean, obviously, this is where some of that part comes into, you know, the individual development plans and learning plans and stuff like that. But fundamentally, there is an ethos and a way of working in each individual club and environment that you work in that. Yeah. That yeah. And I, I, the yeah. Reason why that player doesn't flourish.
3: And, you know, maybe that was why Harry didn't do very well at Arsenal. He wasn't he didn't fit there what they viewed a player should look like at that time. They You know, he didn't fit their view of yeah of, of a player so yeah you know you're, you're right and I think there are some people I remember getting loads of stick when um I got loads of stick when we signed Jaffat Tanganga because Tottenham was very much uh you know small skillful technically really good didn't really we had always forward-thinking players never any defenders and I remember Jaffat coming in and he was big strong could play. He played centre midfield, and we took him as a trialist to play up at Arsenal. And he absolutely smashed them. You know, normally we got bullied at Arsenal, and he left this trail of bodies. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I like that." And I, you know, part of me was like, because I, I do like. I'm quite traditional. I'm a centre half by trade, so I used to like people getting in a bit. And that wasn't Tottenham's way. And we took him, and people said to me, "Oh, he's not. He's not a Tottenham type player. He's not technical. He's not this. He's not that." But you know what? You know, you need all different types of players in a team, and. Yeah, he's one of the ones that has come through and and has, you know, he's had first team games and as a Premier League football player. So, you know, yeah, I think there are some people that might have said at Tottenham, we didn't really fit because our skill set was in this area and Tottenham were looking for this type of player. I'd like to think if you were good enough, you would get the opportunity. But yeah, you know, whether it was the coaching, the environment, and and that's why I never fell out with people. You know, I'd never fell out with people on if they went, you know, I know a lot of players really really well i'm still in touch with players that went off and didn't sign for us showing for chelsea you know good good for you Tariq Lamptey. i still speak to his dad you know good good he sent me a card saying we decided not to sign for you we're going to sign for chelsea but thanks very much you're thinking well i'm not sure
1: say goodbye
3: <laughs> it was really nice. Um, I was a bit upset at the time, but you know, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to fall out with you. That's where you think you're going to develop better because that environment is better for you. Then go for it and good luck. You know, and he's and again, he's another one who's had a really successful career and and you know, obviously at Brighton now. But what, what a player! Um, you can't have everybody, and not everybody fits into your your philosophy or your environment.
2: Hundred percent, and you kind of just kind of build build on that a little bit. Do you think there's been? Do you think do you think it's often the case where maybe a club can identify that this player potentially has or well, has potential um, and maybe identifies that there's possibly another better another environment that might be better suited for them
3: yeah i mean i think it's hard for clubs because once yeah. you've got them you don't like them you know if you think somebody's got something but you know we we made decisions we we let uh, Armand broja go because he was with us he ends up at chelsea and obviously again he's making a name for himself because it was the right thing we felt he was having to travel it was just killing him you know and they made a case as to we can't do the travel anymore you know and you know we decided okay you know fine well let's let's figure out somewhere else better that you can go because you know making so even though he lived within the prerequisite time zone to get into Tottenham he had to go around the 20, m25 every night you know and yeah it was right on the limits of it and it, and it was it was killing him and his family, you know. And and you have to then say, well, okay, well, do you know what? We we need to work in the best interest of the player. Mm. Now, believe he's probably thinking now, we, we let you know, do we let because he's got a value to him now, and he's he's done okay, and maybe he would be in around our first team. Um, but you know, that that's when you're dealing with kids, you've got to do the right thing.
2: Mm. Nothing, I think it's are spot on. You know, it's, it's just all about. It. So you've, you know, you've got you've gone from crown man. I had that 20 year stint. Then you're still doing bits and pieces every now and then, uh, moving over to Spurs. And um, eventually you move over to QPR. How, you know, what was that transition like? How did that come about? What were some of the biggest things you kind of picked up through that period?
3: Yeah, so I guess because of my background, I always felt that I'd wanted to be a like an academy manager, academy director, what you want to call them. I thought I had more in me than just being the head of recruitment. You know, I still had that love of player development and I felt I knew quite a lot. And, and you know, I, I was always surprised about how much I actually did know, really, when I sat down. Uh, so the opportunity came. There was big changes at Queen's Park Rangers. They were in the Premier League at the time with Mark Hughes. I was asked if I would be pleased to go in there, happy to go in there. Um, you know, it was it was very, very different, you know, from coming out of Spurs. Spurs is huge, you know, it's a big, inv- you know, big entity lots of layers of management and even though I worked quite closely with fairly senior people at the club because of my particular role so I worked closely with the Damien Camoli for example for a number of years then gave me access with the board into Daniel and other people so I was kind of um but 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 there were all these layers of management um the level was ridiculously good we just moved into the new training ground so I just got me a nice new office having come out of Spurs Lodge everything was good <laughs> and suddenly I was back in a port a porter cabin at Queen's Park Rangers, you know, um getting my shoes muddy. And it, it it we we'd gone through an, an audit at Tottenham and we got our cat one status. I think I got 98% I think on talent ID. I was really pleased. Um but then we were going I was going into QPR where we were trying to get cat two status and we literally had about three months and I soon realized we didn't have a training ground. You know it wasn't it wasn't compliant it didn't it wasn't suitable. So I had to find a new training ground Um, we, we, we hadn't done really anything towards our, our application. Thankfully we were in the premier league. So my first job was to go and negotiate with Jed Roddy at the premier league to put our audit off until the end of the year. Um, we didn't have an indoor area. We didn't there's loads of things, but by the time we got there, we had planning permission for the dome that's across the road from, from the training center at QPR. We'd moved into Heston, um, where they're building the new training ground, um, and we scraped through i thought we'd done better than scrape through but when he said he just about got over the line and we got our cat two status but it was i would never do it like i did it there ever again I, I, there was reasons i had to do it that way because of the time constraints you know my, my job was based on if we didn't get cat two, i knew i was out the door but it meant that i i would always try and work with the staff and you know in later years i've done lots of strategy documents and lots of performance plan type work and you, ha- you have to collaborate. You have to do it with people. I didn't have that luxury. So there were lots of big changes and it upset people because, you know, QPR is a very different type of club. It's quite a close-knit group of people that have been there for a long, long time. So me coming in, I just want to make it into a mini Tottenham. You know, it's just Tottenham, Tottenham. Um, in fact, I didn't take – I don't think I took anybody from the academy. Um, in the end, actually um, – Alex came across as the head of operations, who's now the academy uh, academy director. He'd come from Tottenham. But apart from that, yeah, we had some people from some of the development centres, but no, they were from all different places. And I always had, found it hard to understand why people criticised me for introducing a philosophy that I believed in. And they were saying, yeah, it's just the top." I said, well, surely it'd be worse if I came and did something completely different. I'd have been a real fraud if I'd say, oh, I've been lording up, saying Tottenham's this, the way of developing players is the I way agree. to do it. I come to QPR and i rip it up and do my own thing that would be worse um so anyway yeah it, it was the hardest two years of my life stressful uh, but then it was so close to the top you would be in with Tony Fernandez at his house going through players it was it was uh, some real bizarre things and yeah I, I learned more in that two years than I probably learned in the previous eight or nine at Spurs and not quite the 20th round of matter but almost you know in terms of This is the reality of a football club. So we got promoted. Sorry, we were in the Premier League. We got relegated. So that changes things about your relationship with the Premier League. We then got back up again, if you can remember. And by the time I was leaving, we were going back down again. Um, But, you know, the playoff final against Derby was one of the best games of football I've ever been to. I'm not QPR supporter, but, you know, Bobby Zamora scoring in the last minutes to win It's like I've never been so happy in a football match. It was was unbelievable. So, yeah, uh, some great experiences. and yeah, and I, I was there for two years before moving on to, to work for the FA. So
2: just, just, just on that, you know, you talked there about some of the experiences and some of the lessons that you picked up. What would you say up to that point, you know, you, you've had several years at Spurs, you've now moved into a, a two-year stint as an Academy Director at QPR. What were some of the biggest things that you kind of picked up along that way? You what? Know, well,
3: yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't realised how much cover John McDermott had probably given us at Spurs, you know, how much he must have been fighting with those people. Because when we first went in, there were a lot of people who didn't believe in what we were doing. You know, a lot of people were very critical, you know, especially some of the old ones who have been around there a long time. So he must have given us that cover because I'm sure he was dealing with loads of stuff. And I only realised that when I went to QPR, the amount of stuff I had to deal with from up above coming down and the politics and, the, and trying to protect your own people so they're not, you know, they can get on with their work. You also think that people, because you, you've kind of developed a staff and you had the ability to be able to uh, kind of mould that staff into the way you thought. By the time we left Tottenham, everybody was on the same page. Everybody agreed with what you're doing. You know, at the beginning, it was a bit tricky. And there was a few people that would, went off rogue and went rogue a little bit. At Queen's Park Rangers, in a very short period of time, you're trying to get people on board. But some of them just didn't believe in what you're doing. And that's really, really hard. So you turn your back and they just do something completely different. And it takes time to start bringing other people in that do believe in what you're doing. Then there's a the number of staff that you've got that are converted over and, and agree with it and start working in the right way. And, and then again, there's that natural people coming and going and, you know, yeah, we lost a few people. As I say, I'd like to work with people differently, but sometimes as they say, you got to change the people, or change the people. Um, and yeah it was it was quite brutal but yeah you kind of just expect everybody to be on the same page as you because you think what you're doing is right so when they're not it's quite it's quite difficult and their and their understanding is different you know because they've been brought up in a different football environment with a different philosophy and you're trying to change that quite quickly um but I think you know we made some really good progress and it was really interesting because when I left obviously Les had come in and Chris Ramsey came in and so they just in fact it's probably more <laughs> you know they probably more uh of what we were doing at Tottenham because Chris is kind of like very much, you know, he knows how to develop players, but, you know, I bought some good people, Paul Hall, who does the 23s or the B team there now. Um, He came in, I got him involved and got him full time with Paul Furlon and a few others. So we made some really good appointments, I think, some strong appointments. Um, But yeah, no, it was, and and I always wanted to go and coach. You know but every i found was an academy manager especially at that point it was very much changing into a more of an operational role so many meetings so much rubbish and some of the things i had to deal with qpr i'd never dealt with what well, it was like being back at crown of manor you know it was life and death situations i had to go and rescue people um but you it's just about get on the pitch to coach think here we go and it was like and the other thing you don't realize is the impact you made so trevor webb who's head of education at tottenham his son bradley was at qpr and I used to go down at the evening training and sometimes I would, we had a thing at Tottenham, whereas if you were down there, you'd get involved and, get, you know, get coaching with, with whatever age group. Uh, and I hadn't realised, I'd just go down and do a bit. And it was like, you'd say to me, oh, you don't know the parents. Are like, oh my God, the academy manager's down. He's coaching. Oh my goodness. And I used to speak to the parents. i got them all in for a meeting. People come up to me. Nobody's ever spoken to us before. It's the first time. I said, really? Oh no, of course I want to speak to you. I want to tell you, you know, what we're doing and why we're doing it. You know, and although yeah, it's always a difficult relationship sometimes with parents. I, d- I didn't understand that in they just never used to really speak to them that much, apart from when they had to. Um, we our games program was was really poor, and I was like, we have got to get more games. And somebody said to me, "Oh no, each says we only got to play fifty percent. You know, the, uh, players have only got to play fifty percent of the games we put on." I said, "Well, we haven't had a game for three weeks. It's a football club." Oh. I said we need to play football matches. Let's organise. Let's get. We haven't got a fixture given to us. Let's find somebody else to play against. Let's 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 make a few phone calls. I don't want weekend weekend after weekend where we're not actually playing football. It just doesn't sit comfortably with me. So there were there were lots of things that we kind of moved forward. But you know, for taking a you know a, a centre of excellence up into a Katsu Academy, I think we we did a good job.
2: No, no, I, th- I think you're spot on, and you know some of the fruits of that labour is still. It's still coming through now. You can see it in some of the players mm-hmm. that are developing. I think this it's quite a unique club in the in that they've got they've got a really good catchment, but they were battling against mm-hmm. some of the biggest clubs and not just the not just the whole of the each of people, but in, in the country. Do you know what I mean? But I, think,
3: I think one of the things that we tried to do. So when I was at Tottenham, we had a big scouting network, you know, at some points we had it, you know, local scouts, we had national scouts, we had international scouts, we had everything going on. You know, I probably had 50 odd people that I was working with, you know, part time volunteers, all sorts of things. So at QPR, we decided, I decided because I was also, you know, leading the recruitment as well, because, you know, most academy managers were like head of coaching. But I had a head of coaching um, and I decided I'd keep more of an eye on recruitment. So, um, but literally we'd have, we had about eight scouts. And we decided that we were just going to do pretty much London, mostly West London, because there's so many good players in West London. We felt that some of the big clubs weren't looking on their doorstep. So, in the area that we are in, yeah, I think we did a really good job. But we kept it. So people had to saying to me, "Do you want more scouts?" I was going, oh, I'm, "I'm happy." Just we were very guy called Frank Shillingford who, who ran the scouting there for me. It was very kind of undercover. You know, we were just and we got in with some of the some of the clubs, at Wembley. FC, we we kind of made um some partnerships with various clubs. Um we worked very closely with them. You know there was some there was some kind of reputational damage because of the way that we'd worked in the past, So we had to kind of get over that in terms of the community and doing some different things. The community trust at QPR is really strong, brilliant. Um, we'd done a big piece of work at Tottenham where we actually linked it together and we employed somebody to kind of work on both sides for coaches and for players. Tottenham, they were seeing like a quarter of a million players a year, but nobody was coming into the academy from it. So we 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 kind of we had this integration manager post, uh, and I did the same at QPR to link the the what was going on in the community scheme with what was going on in the academy, and that was always good. That was good pathway for the coaches because often in community schemes, coaches drop away because there's not the the pathway. Mm. Um, so development centres and lots of the coaches that came through that programme would end up in the academy like they did at Tottenham which again I thought was a good pathway for coaches
2: Mm. I I think that's that's really important because I think for coaches to kind of really keep on developing and being on the lookout for the future generations of players they need to be able to see there's an element of development for themselves so I guess Mm. you know you mentioned a few times obviously wanting to coach yeah Um, but really obviously, a lot of your work's been ending up in the talent i d kind of recruitment space um what would you say maybe the 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 exposure and the experiences and the knowledge you've built up from doing the talent i d stuff and the recruitment aspects have really supported you within your within your delivery as a coach maybe
3: yeah, I mean, I, I guess I always was, yeah, as at QPR, I still did it. I always made sure. So, I, you know, I went a lot of times with the England teams. I'd be on the bench with Dan Michici and others. And although I wouldn't necessarily get involved in massive coaching, I would be on the touchline with them and help them and talk through them about the coaching practice and other things. I did coach education. I guess the last four years has been some of the best four years of my life, but back at uh, Loughborough University, because last year, you know, I was like Jamie Clapham, who was the men's head coach there. I brought him in as director of football. I became like his assistant. Like the year before, I did the development group purposely because I wanted to look after the second group. And I absolutely loved it coaching a team, you know. And I got right back into it because it's really hard as a coach to kind of you're either in or you're not. I, I find it quite hard just to coach for the sake of coaching. I want to take a team. I want to, I want the, the game at the end of the week. I want to. It, Last year, I mean, the, the team got to the semi-final of the FA Vars and we did really, really well, worked with some really good players. And I, I was, I loved it. You know, Jamie's, Jamie Clapham's an unbelievable coach, really experienced as a player and as a coach. And I was back learning again and I was his assistant and I was, you know, taking some players. We did some individual stuff. I was getting, you know, making sure I could always get on the pitch when he was on the pitch. So I guess you you always try and find, you know, opportunities to go and do it. I th- there's there's no doubt that you I got better through practice you, you you know when I was at QPI I was decent at the FA you just you know my first few weeks at Loughborough having come from the FA my coaching probably wasn't up to I didn't have that natural kind of I know what happens next I know you know where when I was coaching every day at Crown of Manor I, I could just do the sessions I knew what was coming up I knew I could coach them I knew the detail and I was really confident um and, you know, and I and I became that again when I went back to Loughborough after a time that you get back into it and you kind of, you, you get more in tune with the players that you're working with. So it's, yeah, you kind of, it's, 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 it's those relationships again and feeling a part of something. It's very hard when you don't know the players and they don't know you to then suddenly start going and coaching them, I think.
2: hundred you know, percent. I literally having a conversation a couple of days with, 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 um with a couple of coaches that I'm supporting at the moment and really said that you need to get to know the players. They really don't care what you can tell them until until they understand that you've connected with them first, and it could be yeah. a little things. could be a little thing, you know, just saying hi to them every time you see them, just engaging with eye contact. It could just be, you know, how was your day? You might, you know, and if you can go one step further and actually remember what's been said as well. Um,
3: but it's funny because again, I I always think that I'm quite approachable and and nice, but also in the position that you hold, people yeah. are scared of you. Yeah. So i remember being i had something my knee was hurting so i went and sat on the physio about i was looking at in our physio clinic and i sat next to one of the boys and i was chatting to him and afterwards, some somebody said oh he was absolutely couldn't believe he was sitting next to you he was absolutely scared you know scared this is like a 19 year old 20 year old university guy who's played a. you know he's played at a club and because i'm there as the director of football suddenly so you know there's a little bit of you've got to get over that and and it's hard in those roles because you've got to be the director of football so you've got some responsibilities and the, the, your coaching role might be certainly different in terms of the relationships that you're trying to build with the players so that can be quite tricky but yeah again it goes back to that turning up on a Tuesday night down at you know down at QPR and coaching and not realizing the the impact that you have on the players mm-hmm. obviously academy managers come to coach us today. oh my goodness I think you know oh I didn't think of that I just popped down yeah. it wasn't planned to sort of come in
2: 100%. So just on that then, you know, talked to us about your, you know, what what are some of the fundamentals to the way you would approach a session or, you know, the, your coaching philosophy, if you like, you know, what, what are some of the key things that kind of, these are your core pillars that when it comes out to you coaching, Because you talk there about sometimes having a bit of a break and being away from it, you know, you can get a bit rusty and when you throw yourself back into it, you obviously just kind of dust off the cobwebs a little bit, but what are the things that have just stayed consistent for you? Um,
3: I guess relevance to the game, trying to make sure everything you do is relevant. That, you know, it doesn't kind of be thinking, you know, what's that? I I don't mind and people, you know, unopposed practices. I'm not, I'm not, I quite like unopposed practices sometimes. I, I like a bit of mannequins and shape and letting people, only I was talking about with our coaches here, you know, sometimes we go straight into a pose and they say, well, how do we give ownership and give, you know, how do, how do we create that opportunity for them to be more imaginative and creative? Well, sometimes you might need to do that with just, Here's some mannequins, and let's see how we get through and break it through without anything else as a, as a start point. So, and I quite like, I have to say, and again, it's a bit old school. I do like those kind of more rhythmical passing drills where they pop it around a little bit, and we often did that as a warm up before games. But, but yeah, there's no question. I, I you know. Coaching within, you know, where where there's pressure on the ball and it's realistic to the game. I remember a German coach I worked with saying the Germans always want to have a goal involved, you know, because that's the thing. You've got to defend it or attack it. If the goal's not there. It's no, you know, where, where's the relevance to the game? Um, so I, I often think about that and how, how we make it more. I don't have a problem with line games where you're running things across lines and stuff. I get that, especially if it's you know, midfield player across. But wherever possible, I try to, I like a goal, and a goalkeeper who can make saves um to make it more realistic um yeah so i i i do i am still back in the mindset of have you ever come across tundi at so tundi works at arsenal and i can remember under eights used to do the under eights and i know tundi because tundi used to come to crown of manor and he, and he played pro and he's he's quite an entrepreneur and he's quite a character if you ever get to meet him so i remember doing the under eights at tottenham uh we, we played arsenal and and i i was with the team and in terms of philosophy so he was pass it pass it pass it yeah one touch, pass 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 and I was saying don't pass it don't pass it take him on take him on and he was like looking at me what are you, what are you I said no go. That's right, so you do what you do and we do what we do so I still got this thing and my biases kick in so when I'm coaching I like wingers I like wingers that can take people on I like skillful play um you know I, I want I want people to be going past people and trying to take them on if there's one v one recognizing overloads and all those kind of things but I have still got, and even though at the older age, they've got to know when and where. Um, I, I am drawn towards players that have got more of that kind of level of technical ability that still make me go, wow, that is unbelievable. Same as doing the under eights, where that's what we that's what it was. Wow moments, and, you know, um, people that can do something a little bit different. So in my coaching, I'm still wanting to do those kind of practices where they are still practicing their, you know, basic ball manipulation and, and being comfortable with the ball to control it under pressure.
2: Definitely, definitely. And I fully agree with that as well. And I think if, if we're not going to teach them at that stage, and I think we're missing a trick.
3: Yeah. So yeah. And I, I, you know, we, our philosophy very much was yeah, of course. Of course, they've got to understand how to pass the ball. Ball striking is really important. They've got to understand when it's 2v1 rather than 1v1. One one. But we want to have a game, especially the very young ones, it's like the school playground where it's not very pleasing to the eye. It doesn't look like the first team, but you're teaching because you need to learn that bit about. Being in control of the ball, being able to take, because there is a point you can you can learn passing as you. I think you know you can learn that as you get a little bit as you get older, and the game understanding will come as you get older. But I don't think you can understand receiving it in tight areas and not just kick it into Rose Ed like we used to. You know that we can chop out and, and play a different way, and that's the modern football player's
2: got to be able to do that. Hundred percent, I think you're spot on, and I totally agree with you on that. On that note, in terms of you know you're. Your journey there, you know, what would you say is some of the biggest challenges that you face as a coach, more specifically? And, you know, what it might be something that you're dealing with now. And, it, you know, if it is something that, you, that you've overcome, how did you overcome it?
3: So we talked right at the beginning about credibility. I, I, you know, I, I played sort of step five, step four, kind of, you know, semi-pro, but didn't get paid because I was at Crown of Manor. And we played at a decent level and I played with some good players, but I wasn't a player. Anybody you know, talk, but you know, I, I used to fight, kick, head. Yeah, that, that's my, my level of ability. So you are automatically coming into a situation where often most coaches have played at a better level, not all, but most. So that credibility thing is a really hard thing to get. So I think people that talk to me now say that I'm a football person. They don't see me as a youth worker person or a teacher. I, right, teachers, they see me, oh, yeah, Richard's a football person, thinking, well, you know, I'm not a football person in the sense of, I don't know a player, a coach that has played the game and is now you know coaching. I'm not Jack Wilshire, you know, who's now coaching. um He would have always had that slight advantage. And there will be some jobs. You know, I, I can't ever see myself, and I know that's not true because you're seeing some really good examples of people that are starting to get decent jobs. So Steve Cooper was never the best player in the world. He played, but you wouldn't deem him as being a you know. But he's now he's a very good coach. He's done really well at Nottingham Forest. He done well at Swansea. He was good England. I worked with him with England. So, there is a little bit of you know change in that factor, but it's still there is a bit of a oh, he hasn't played the game, so he's not really one of us. Um, so I think, I think you know, demonstrating that you can coach, that you do understand the game, that you will work hard. Um, yeah, I used to play all the time, so if we had staff games, if we had things, I'd always play, I'd always you know, and do a little bit. So, you kind of not saying that gives you credibility because if you're rubbish, you're rubbish, but. At least they could see that I had a love of the game and, and and had a bit about me that I could demonstrate and I could kick a ball straight. That I wasn't somebody that would say, oh, you can't even play football. So I think there's lots of things you have to do to kind of get your credibility. And then luckily, in some ways, my credibility comes from 20 years working at Crown & Manor. Still this day, you know, people see me as somebody that understands about different communities, working in different environments, working with different players. If you look at the players I've worked with, it's a vast variety of different types of players from different cultural backgrounds. Um, And some of the work that I've done, whether it's through the talent ID courses, we introduced the FA, you know, with the people that we've worked with and the, and the groups that we've done courses with, it kind of again builds up your credibility in certain communities. So I think most people would see me as, you know, Richard Allen. Yes, to have an ID, but you know, a good football person that kind of gets it.
2: No, no, and I think you're spot on. I think that probably is the perception that a lot of people have had of you when I've certainly when I've spoken to them as well. But you, you know, you keep talking there about the length of time and the experience, and, the, and I guess really just painting, shining the light more so on how much work has gone in to get to where you are 37 yeah. years since you started at crown manor
3: right. yeah yeah so, i mean you know i've been i've been it was a crown of manor longer than i would have been anywhere you yeah. know and the, and the lessons i learned there and the, my coaching there working with when we started the academy I had tom loizu who was the coach who's you know done well in semi-pro level it was an. I learned loads from him as a coach because i was still developing i'd go everywhere to watch the top coaches coach to kind of try and replicate. I was really into it. I'd sit there doodling when I do my work, but I'd be doing a session plan, you know, talking about love of the game and becoming a student of the game. I remember doing my A license. and That was the first thing that Dick Bates said, you've got to become a student of the game. And I was, I was reading everything. I was watching everything, every coaching video. And then I was lucky enough to be able to go and put it into action pretty much every day, working on Shortage Park with a group of kids, you know, and, and, but again, people say, you know, oh yeah, it was lovely at Tottenham. You know, the the, the training pitch of Tottenham wasn't, yeah, I suppose Lodge was okay, but yeah, you know, Middleton House was awful. It was an awful place to go. It was terrible, you know. And actually, if you look at the players that have come through, one of the big concerns, I suppose, of the people at Tottenham now is it's probably too nice, you know. Um, yeah. but I think most people would say that I'm adaptable. So when I was at Crown of Manor, the club was run by people that worked in the city. So I was quite comfortable going in the city, being in a boardroom. There was, you know, we used to go do things at like Buckingham Palace. And I was quite happy in that kind of environment. But I was also quite, in, you know, happy in the boxing, going down to your call or with the boxers or yeah. going on the football pitch and, and in different environments. And again, I think that that ability to be able to adapt to the the situation has put me in good stead so that I, I am, I'm, there's not many situations where I think well, I'm out of my depth here. I, you know, I can normally survive it because I've, I've experienced doing it, I guess from a, a very young age and you know, I'm happy talking in front of groups. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite lucky. I do. I think I know quite a lot of things. And the other thing that I think is people always say to me, I have say, you just know everybody, but, I I, I do you know my network is really quite extensive um you know running all the talent ID courses at the FA you know when I go to matches I used to go to like be a scout every scout would have gone through the course so you know every scout it's a bit like a top coach educator I guess if you're you know back in the day everybody that went through the A license with Martin Hunter everybody knows Martin Hunter he doesn't know all of them but they all know him um I was I was the same so you know I'm very lucky that my connections and networks are very broad um and again, that makes me employable for no other reason that even here, I was, tr- I was trying to get a ticket for a game here. And they were like, oh, I can't get it. And I just know somebody. You know, I can always get a ticket from somewhere. And even in Japan, I know people that I can speak to or, you know, they're just, again, and that builds up over time, you know, and developing. And I'm I'm one for proper relationships. I hate kind of where you just ask somebody for tickets all the time. Yeah. Uh, that's what the ones who ring me up, I'm just say, hey, have you got to there's, there's more to life than that with people. Where you know, it's not just about taking stuff. That there's giving, and that you're talking to people, and you're trying to help them, and yeah. you're creating a relationship. So they, obviously, that's best. That's, that's the best type.
2: Hundred percent. So just just on that, then you know, you've had a lot of experiences linking you know starting way back in crown of manor 37 years ago you know moving over to spurs moving to the Q- qpr moving to the fa and obviously now in yoga if you had the opportunity to go back all the way back 1985 Richard Allen starting out crown of manor what was the one thing that you tell you'd, be, you'd, you'd want to tell yourself back then about all the things that you've picked up along the way Oh, it's a
3: great one, really. I, I can remember, you know, my first few days there again, not having a clue what was going on, you know. And you used to have to go in the backyard at Crown of Manor, and you did thirty seconds. You know, where people just head and volley at you and yeah. you know, volley the ball so hard. I used to get smacked by. It was like a rite of passage. I'd go out there and get absolutely battered by these kids. Um, and you know, luckily my judo, and I was quite, you know, I was, I, I could, I could look after myself a little bit. But I, I don't know, really. I mean, I, I was so lucky there that it was a. Uh, an unbelievable environment for people that gone and became top football players, top boxers, top athletes. You know, people going to you know this little club in Hoxton. We uh, in Hoxton, we had we had people going to Olympic Games for you know wrestling because we had a wrestling club, proper old Olympic wrestling. You know, we had we had medalists at Commonwealth Games. We and nothing was impossible. If you said right, so when I said I want to do this football academy, okay, let's do it. I said let's take it. We want to go and play in Japan in a tournament around i suppose about 2000 2001 michael donald said it was the first time he's ever been on a plane we got it sponsored by credit swiss domino pizzas and we all off we went you know 28 of us to japan uh it was it was ridiculous and there's no other club like it where you had that support so i guess I, I took advantage of everything i had the support of so many people i was there uh, and to this day you know I've, i'm still supported by those people they're good friends you know, would always see me right. They would always look after me. You know, if I was ever had, had a problem, they would sort you know sort it out and help me out. Um, and that's reciprocal. You know, I'd do the same thing. So I don't think there's anything different I would do. I think it, I, it was funny because when we signed up the the, the academy, we had some really good players. And if I'd been probably two years earlier to Tottenham, most of those players I would have signed at Tottenham. They were were exactly the type of players that we were trying to get in, people like Jason Mason and, you know, some really good football players. Um, But the the time, the timing was just off for them. I feel really sorry for them because they would have had really good careers because they were technically really gifted players that weren't really what clubs were looking for at the time when they were coming through. Um, So that that was one of my sadnesses. But no, I think take advantage of everything you know, in an environment where they were supportive and allowed me to go and do things. So when I was swanning off to work with the German women's team for the whole, they just let me do it, you know, and, and, and it was brilliant. And I think they recognised that they were also getting the benefits from it.
2: Rich, I think it's, it's quite interesting what you said there. And I think for me, what, what I really take away from that is just making sure that you're confident doing what you're doing. Stick with that confidence. You know, you don't know what you don't know what the future's gonna hold. You don't know what you don't know what the journey's gonna have next have in store next for you. And you talk there about having some of those players where the environment might have been right for them had you been there a couple years earlier and talking about some of the players there. And I think that's the beauty of conversations like this. Everything's in retrospect, everything's in yeah. right. Um but hopefully there's gonna be a lot for people to take away from this and if we're not looking forward towards the future, what yep. one kind of golden nugget, if you like, for anyone listening to this is probably going to be a coach more likely than anything else. Um, what you know, if, you're, if I said to you, right, Rich, you have got sixty seconds.
0: <laughs>
2: give us some nuggets that they're going to they're going to take forward and hopefully apply with them straight away. That's going to have a transformational impact on where their journey could end up. What would that be? Well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we talked about, you know, being credible and, and, and competent. And I think, you know, not being an arsehole is probably quite
0: helpful
3: as well. Uh, you know, because I think there are some people that, that in terms of their own behaviours, the way that they are, I think, you know, I, I know people that... I, I remember somebody saying, you've got to contribute necessarily. Um, I think that's really important that that, you know, that... You know when to listen to people that know more than you do um and don't feel as though you've you've got to earn the right to be able to contribute you seem to have frozen are you you can you hear me oh, can you hear me I can Yeah, hear sorry you me. froze you were frozen. yeah could yeah so i i do yeah i do believe that you know that that bit about earning the right um and yes, we, it's important to be confident and, and have that belief in your own abilities. But it's also, you know, being humble enough to know when other people know more than you do and, and learn and listen. Um, and, and and maybe, yeah, you know, of course, we want to create environments where everybody can talk and contribute. But there are times, you know, if I'm if I'm sitting listening to Gareth Southgate, do, do I feel I can contribute sometimes? Yeah, I work with Gareth. But I, sometimes you just got to listen because the man's a genius, you know, and he's he's bright and he he knows his stuff. Now, can I add some value to it? Yeah, I think I, I probably can, and I did. When I worked there, I enjoyed working with him. But he's exceptional, and there, there are some people that you come across where you think, I'm just going to sit here and listen, because this guy has got so much knowledge. So I think that's that not being an arsehole is quite important, kind of the emotional intelligence bit, you know, especially working in the professional game. You've got to know it. And, you know, I used to go and see my bosses, you know, go to the technical director or go and see the manager. I remember going to see the manager, and the um the woman that was his PA I'd be going you know is it should I come in no, 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 leave it come back come back don't come in. don't come in yet and I got on really well with her and she'd like tell me when it was yeah and I'd t- do that quick turn get out of the way because I knew that it probably wasn't the best time to go and speak to him about something so yeah that kind of emotional intelligence I think is is quite important as well and I think then it's about um you know one of the things that always you know, when you get to a certain age what you don't want to become is a dinosaur so, you know, it's that rose tinted glasses where you're looking back um, and you think it was much better. Oh, it was brilliant. Then it was this and it's changed. You know, things do evolve and change and you've got to be able to evolve, evolve and change with it. Not saying that you sell out or you do things differently that you don't believe in, but you've constantly got to learn and take on new ideas and, and develop, you know, and, and I'm still, even though I'm getting on a bit now, you know, being here, I'm learning, I'm talking to people They do things differently. And just because I think it's not the right way of doing it doesn't make, make me right and them wrong. It's context. It's all sorts of things. Mm. Um, And yes, I can help them and I'll point them in the right direction if I think, and they're very open to that, but there'll be some other things. I'm thinking, do you know what they, they, you know, I like that. That's something I I think we should be doing back in England.
2: I, I think I can be spot on. And I think it is, you know, it's constantly trying to evolve. Like you said, you're not trying to revolutionise anything. You're not saying that everything that you've, that you've been doing up till now, just because someone else has got a new good idea that you should just throw out the window. Context is key. You, you mentioned it there. And I think for me, it's, it's the beauty in that there's going to be many ways that work, but it's what is your outcome for this intended, intended, intended moment? What are, you, what are you trying to get out of this situation here? Because you might have some great insights and great ideas for something that might be more relevant to working in a youth club. You might, yeah. have, if someone else has got some great ideas that might be more targeted towards a specific age group or a specific gender or a specific type of environment. And it's not to say that this um, necessarily right or wrong, because I think there's yeah. so many rights that we can come across.
3: Well, last year, we, um, again, at Loughborough, we started the Loughborough Lightning team, which was a merger between Loughborough Foxes, a local side, women's team. And the university women's team, and we played playing the national league. Izzy Martin as the head coach, and I started getting more involved last year. It was it was a hard season, you know. We were in there with Wolves and Nottingham Forest and Derby, you know, and and little old Loughborough that was trying to do it. And and the Lightning brand is the kind of women's sporting brand at Loughborough, you know. And again, for me, I'd coached and I'd done everything. It was a it was a completely different experience coaching women than men, you know. And uh, and I, I enjoyed it, and I think I did okay at it. But it, but it was, yeah, you, you, it was different. It was different. And again, it's that ability to adapt and change your style and just be thoughtful about how you do it. And you know what? There were some things there that I think, oh, I wouldn't have done that with the men, but it works with the women. Hold on a second. Maybe it would work with the men. Maybe we just got Ooh. to change the mindset a little bit about how we go about things. Much more collaborative, much more questions. You know the boys probably are still used to working. A lot of the boys have come out of academies and couldn't understand why we just didn't shout at them a lot because they were used to being shouted at. Uh, that's terrible. Obviously, that's not always the case. Whereas the girls, not going to start shouting at them, but also there were more questioning of what you were doing. You know, why are we doing this? You know, yeah, a, you know and it was, it was and it was different and it was good.
2: Yeah, it's such a good, such a such a such a good point that you made then. It's a, it's an observation that I've really kind of come across recently as well. Is that uh, first of all, I think the point about a certain thing working in certain environments with certain players, and just you almost kind of naturally build this wall and say that's not going to work outside of this environment, but actually it is they're still football players they're still athletes, they're still people. It should work, yeah, you might just have to tweak it and adjust it slightly but um, even the observation about you know female players in particular i've I've found in my my experience that they, they they're more vulnerable and open to just being curious about everything that's going on because they want to know
3: <coughs> yeah. Whereas, yeah, they, they want something behind it. They want some logic. They want to, yeah. you know, you, you can't just say something. They, they want, they'll question you. And if you do say something, they'll probably at the end go, what do you mean by, you know, and and, and it's actually a conversation that you probably would want to have with one of the male players, but they just don't have the, 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 the whereby I'll to go and do it because they're like, well, we ain't going to ask him. Yeah, Whereas yeah. the girls, probably just come straight up and ask, you know, what do yeah. you mean by that? We just said this and, you know, why do you want me to do that? And it's, um, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. And, and something that, you know, absolutely we should be doing with the men as well. And they should be more uh, quiz, you know, critical and also, you know, just thinking
2: about what, what they want to learn. hundred percent, which, you know, I just want to kind of reiterate that. I think there's just been some fantastic messages and, 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 and little nuggets for people to kind of latch onto throughout this conversation. And I want to just really say thank you again for taking the time to be with me um, today to have this conversation, because there's definitely a lot of things that you've got me thinking about and just and I, I'm sure we can sit here and talk for hours and hours about some of this stuff. But I'm really keen to kind of know currently Yokohama, Technical Director, where yeah. does go next?
3: Well, I'm, I'm also doing a little bit of work with FIFA, so it's really interesting. So, you know, I feel quite proud. I know FIFA's reputation over the years has taken a bit of a hit, but they've got um, a new talent ID, a sort of talent development scheme that they're running with member associations. So it's trying to, level up a little bit from the you know the absolute European dominance or South American, how do we get the others, you know, they want more World Cups and you know, actually when you're in England, you're thinking, what are they talking about? But then the rest of the world, we're trying to catch up, especially with the younger age groups. So I'll be doing some work with them as a high performance specialist, looking at some of their member associations and helping them a little bit, um, as well as probably doing some more stuff around talent ID and kind of fronting that up a little bit if there is So Juan Pablo Angal is is in in South America. You know, all these people I never thought I'd ever meet. I'll meet on Zoom now. Um, And, you know, if he's working with, uh, I don't know, the the Chile FA, then they might say, we want some extra help on Talent ID. And he'll say, well, I can't. I don't know much about it, but Richard Allen does. So we can. So, yeah, so there's lots of different things. Who knows with football, you know, and that's that's the good thing about football. You you know, this job could, I've got a three-year contract out here. But footballs football I could be here for a year I could be here for three years um it, if I will definitely come back to the UK <laughs> I've got family in the UK so I'm definitely coming back um and then see what opportunities kind of come my way um I'm still you know very driven and and you know I, I feel like I've still got more to to give um and yeah we'll we'll, we'll see where it takes us
2: amazing and I, and I wish you all the, all the successes with that as well rich And I've, again just to kind of reiterate, it has been a fascinating conversation really great insights around your journey and some of the things that you've picked up along the way um thank you again i hope you've enjoyed, enjoyed as much as i have and i'm sure the, the listeners will have picked up a lot from it themselves so yeah again i wish you all the best thank you again have a great My day pleasure.
3: Really. It. no it's good thank you so it's been good and um yeah um yeah hopefully people have uh, enjoyed listening